today and to hear something from God, maybe something that's very necessary. The topic is about change, and change, it sounds easy word to say, right? <laughs> but I, I, I just wonder how much we have changed over the years. How long, I mean, don't answer my questions, right? But how long have you been saved? And how much change has taken place in that time? When I think of the opportunities I've had and the, you know, the, the doors that God has opened for me, the amount of change in me is pitiful in comparison to the opportunities I've had. Truly. Are you with me? Really it is. I, I'm not impressed with myself. I think it's abysmal. You know, you meet someone you haven't seen for 15 years and the first words out of them, ah, oh, you haven't changed a bit. That's terrible. You, you know, it's terrible. But it's actually true. Uh, we don't let God do his work in us. And just this week, you know, a few days, I took some time aside. Because I don't have many Sundays left with you. So it's getting, I guess, more important as we come to the end of my tenure here. So I really ask you to open your hearts before God this morning. When it comes to, to, to people changing, genuinely really being transformed... Scripture gives us two principal characters, one positive, one negative. The first one, if you turn to it, is in John chapter 5 verse 1, where you've got the healing at the pool. This was someone who was open to change, who wanted to change. And so when the power of God passed by, they changed. John's Gospel, chapter 5 and verse 1. Some time later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. For one of the Jewish festivals. Now there was in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool. Which in Aramaic is called Bethesda. And which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. Look at this question. So you've got a guy who's an invalid for 38 years, what do you want? Do you want to get well, Jesus asks him. I mean, it's a really strange question to someone who's paralyzed, right? You would automatically think that, of course, he wants to get well. Well, don't presume anything. Benefits society, we hear a lot about it you know, on our news, a benefits culture, people want to live off benefits. And if you take away my sickness, I've got no benefits. And here you have a guy who's... He's asking for alms, alms. He's begging at the side of the pool. That's how he makes his living with many, many other people. It says there are many disabled people here. No social services. And if he gets healed, he's got no income. Are you with me? Right? So the first question from Jesus is actually a very important question. Do you really want to change? See, all of us here, if I sat down with you one to one, you've got issues, you've got problems, you've got struggles, you've got strifes. But you think, well, of course I want to change. Of course I want God to... Do you? And Jesus had to ask that question. And this is here for you to see that there are parts of me that can be like this. There are parts of me that are reluctant to give up me. Reluctant to let me die. Reluctant to move on to the next version, if you like, of what God has for me, of me. I can get stuck, as this guy did, For 38 years. That's a long time. 
you go to funerals, you know, you go to funerals in some churches, and, and you know, the guy's in the coffin, and he, he was in the church for 60 years, you know. And they say, this is Mr. Jones, he was in the church for 60 years. He sat in the same seat. He wore the same suit, you know. 60 years, and they think it's a good thing, but it's not necessarily a good thing. Because surely, the presence of God is transformative. If he's really in us, if he's really with us, and if we're cooperating with him, then the outcome should be changed. The outcome in this man's case, it's a positive outcome. Jesus says, do you want to change? He says, yes, and he receives a miracle. Sadly, it's not the only example. Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. Look at this. This is a famous scripture. The rich young ruler. Here you have a a totally different character, but the outcome is negative. Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? And Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sad, because he had great wealth. It's terrible, isn't it? It's sad. It's a sad scripture because this was no doubt a good guy who had, a bit like Paul, he'd tried to do everything right. He'd tried to come along the right road. Uh, And there is a way. I don't do many altar calls. You probably noticed that. (laughs) Right? Do you know why? I don't like altar calls much. Because the same people come forward every Sunday. And then they go back to their seat. And then they come back the next Sunday. Not one jot changed. True? True or false? And you can have a circus where, I mean, we we complain about the Catholic Church having a confession box. Listen, folks, we've got one right up here. Oh, yeah. And people come to it every week and there's no change. So I kind of stopped doing them because I felt it was abusive. It was stupid. It became ridiculous. You know? That's not what Jesus is asking for here. You can give the outward appearance of wanting to change. That's what this man was doing. This rich guy. He, was, he came to Jesus knowing that he'd come a long way. He has. He'd come a long way in his life. There was a lot of good intention in him. Just not enough. There was a lot of good motives in him. Just not enough. And Jesus kind of shines the spotlight on that and says, Oh, well, if you're really sincere, then go get rid of your possessions. And he just can't cope with that. And unlike... The cripple at the pool who said yes. He actually says no. (laughs) Did it make him happy? And so he went away sad. That's the end of the story. A sad end to a sad story. I need to be like the cripple. I need to be like the one when Jesus passes by today for you and for me. And he says, do you want to change? I need to be able to say yes. 100% I want to change. And whatever that's going to cost me, whatever that's going to mean for me, I'm up for it, Lord. But sadly, the amount of change that takes place in your life and mine can be abysmal. 
And your life and mine can be about repetition. Same old, same old, right? Can be about maintenance, just maintaining who I am. We get, like the rich young ruler, we get to a certain place in Christ and we stop. And it's about maintenance. It's about keeping that place that we feel we've attained, which is normally based on comparison to those around us. Right? We get a culture that we feel cozy with and we kind of fit in and then we just maintain this ground. So your life and mine can very quickly become about repetition, maintenance and gradual decline. And that was not the plan. That was not God's plan for you or for me. Amen? Amen. Not at all. But in order to grasp the life in all its fullness... Uh, there's some things got to go. Some things in me got to go. Some practical changes need to be made. But I'm afraid we just kind of draw a box. We live inside a, you know, a box. It's, it's, it's really true. Like in Los Angeles where you have the street gangs. And those street gangs, their world is the end of the block. They will die for that block. You step inside that, they'll kill you. They fight for a tiny little street. I remember a policeman being interviewed on the television and I never forgot the statement because that's what he did. He policed them. And he said, you've got to understand that these guys, their world is the length of that street. (laughs) That's it. Well, you're not going to change much then, are you? If this is the size of my goldfish bowl, then I'm going to limit myself to live within that. And God is the God of this whole earth. Right? You've got a whole life to live. And goodness knows what God will do if one of you (laughs) today said, you know what, I'm willing I'm up for it. It's risky, isn't it? It can be a bit scary. But anybody who puts their life in his hands, yeah, I <laughs> think get ready for change. Plenty of change coming your way if you genuinely put your life in his hands. Goodness knows where that will take you. We need to be constantly changing ourselves, upgrading ourselves like software, you know. When I began doing the job I'm doing now with with Singapore, it used to drive me crazy because they send me like files, Excel files or something, and every time there's a new program out, they update. And I'm still in 97, you know. And I can't open the file. So I'm saying, I can't open the file. And they're, okay, so I get my system up to speed. They've changed it again. Yeah, It drives me nuts. But do you know what? After a little bit of while in that culture, I got used to it. And now I kind of am ahead of the pack, actually. And I stay completely up to speed because I've realized VFC, very frequent change. Right? (laughs) Very frequent change. And I actually got to like it and realize that 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 way of being, that's good. It's not good to get stuck. Some of you are stuck. Some of you have been exactly the same for years. (laughs) You know that? Everything about you is exactly the same. Right? True? You're stuck. You're stuck. Someone came up to me the other day with a sarcastic, sarky, chopsy look on their face and said, Pastor Mike, I didn't recognize you. I said, well, do you know what? I recognize you. Because you haven't changed a bit. Exactly the same. For 10 years, 20 years. Folks, don't get stuck. Don't get stuck. When the Holy Ghost gets in you, He will change you. Right? Amen. Don't get stuck. Don't get stuck in a rut. It is the easiest thing in the world to do. 
but I warn you, if you do sincerely invite God, <laughs> he, he'll, he'll, he'll come down into your life and turn everything upside down. But you've only got one life anyway, huh? One of the biggest churches in America is in Phoenix, Arizona. I've been there many times. And the pastor is very well known in America. It's called Tommy Barnett. And I was with him when he was, he was 67 years old, I remember. And uh, there's about 22,000 people in the church. They have this huge Colosseum place they meet in. And the, the, the meeting was starting and the screens came up, you know. These brilliant LED screens, massive screens. And I was so impressed by the screens. You know, I turned to Pastor Tommy and I said, hey, you know what? I love your screens. These are fantastic. the best screens I've ever seen. And he looked at me and he said, what? I've told the sound guys I don't want these. These are old hat. I want one of those wraparound screens. You know, one of the one piece screen. I've told, I don't know what they're thinking of. But you know, I never forgot that because the, 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 the sound team and the workers in that church were come from an organization called Master's Commission. Um, and they would all be below 30 sort of thing. And I, here's this guy. He's nearly 70. And he's more up to date than the sound team. You with me? And I suddenly realized, no wonder you built one of the biggest churches in America. Because you have not stood still, but even these kids are already standing still. They're already stuck. They've already bought in to the system. Like Israel, they always wanted to settle down, didn't they? Always wanted to stop, always wanted to stop along the road. Do you think God's got more for you? That's a weak answer, that, Paul. Goodness me. Hallelujah. <laughs> Let's ask that question again. Do you think God's got more for you? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Are you willing to change? Yes. Okay. Good. What? What are we going to change? What needs to change in you? Well, we could, have, we could be here all day on that. Attitudes. Some people get stuck with the same stupid attitude, right? which snarls and snags their relationships all their lives. Remember, I met one guy here. I tried to help him, came to this church for a while. But he had a terrible attitude, criticizing churches all the time. And in the end, he left. And remember, I told you I met him in McDonald's. He walked in early in the morning. And he wanted to sit down and have his McDonald's with me. And I wouldn't fellowship with him. And he walked away sad. Like the guy, the rich young ruler. He walked away unhappy, looking back at me. I think, no, I don't want to spend time with you because you've got a stinking attitude and I gave you many chances, so no, just go away. See, you, it's okay if a child has a tantrum. It's not okay if an adult has a tantrum. You should move on from those things. But some people keep attitudes their entire lives, right? You can have a quirk in your personality. Something that's just not conducive to happy, relaxed relationships. That needs to change. Right? Stop looking at each other. I'm talking to you. <laughs> things, that, you know, simple little things. Maybe some of you just need to move house. Just move house. Just have a change. Do something different. For some of you, education. Think of something new. Learn something new. As I say with my running, Ian, I've learned, Ian used to be a coach. I've learned a ton of stuff. Absolute ton of stuff. Emergency learning, you know. <laughs> Absolutely amazing world, really, the things you don't know. It's been an education, a total education. I put on five stone in weight. Yeah, in four years. That's phenomenal, isn't it? I looked a bit like Jeanette looks now. I looked absolutely huge. 
And we were down, actually, we were down in Bears Den, I remember. And myself and Jeanette made a decision that we were going to get fit. We were going to get healthy. And we joined Esporta at that time. It was actually about six or seven years ago. And we set our targets at that time. But a simple little thing like that, if I had kept going like that, that's going to crush my organs, isn't it? That's going to destroy me. That's just me being stupid. That's me having no discipline over what I eat. So I decided to declare war on that. I've lost about 30 pounds, but I've still got to lose about another 20. Right? That's called change. Change. And we need to change. We need to keep on changing and do whatever we need to do to change. You ever, you, some of you maybe remember this film, Educating Rita? Yeah, great film actually. Julie Walters and Michael Caine. And Julie Walters, the kids grow up, and Julie Walters decides that she's going to go to university and she's going to start studying. And what does the husband do? Mock, mock, mock. Oh, I tell you, how real is that? I heard a couple don't come to this church anymore. I heard a lady here do exactly that and I heard the same response from the husband right here. girl said, I'm going to go and do ABC. And right here, that husband started to mock his wife. Oh, you're going to do this and that and the other? It's just human nature. The guy doesn't want to change, right? And there was a lady looking for change. You need to be aware of that because I warn you that if you change, don't expect a round of applause, don't expect a slap on the back, because you may not get that, you might get exactly the opposite. You might get criticism, mockery, and laughter. And some people don't change because of that. Some people know that if I go to church, I go to my friends, and I say I'm going to study this or I'm going to do that, you know that you will be mocked or laughed at. And that is enough. Pride is so strong in human beings. That is enough to turn some people back and they get stuck. For 10 years, 20 years, because of each other. Because you're thinking about each other, you're looking at each other. Where should you be looking? Only unto God. And the day that you let other people dictate how you lead your life, what you do, that's a sad day for you because you're not going to change anymore. So I challenge you folks to think again. I would also admonish you that the Lord that you follow, Jesus Christ, expects change. He's looking for it. Do you remember the fig tree? He came across a tree. It was the season for fruit. And what did he find? Leaves. He found leaves. And what did he do? He cursed the tree. Now, that sounds so severe. I know many people read that parable and they think, oh, I thought he was a good God. But you see... When you're a child, you'll be treated like a child. But when you're an adult, you will be treated like an adult. So here you have a tree, and when it was the season for child, the season for leaves, no problem. But the fact is, time had moved on, and the tree had stood still. Time had moved on, and the changes had not taken place. That's why Jesus cursed that tree. And if we're not careful, you know, it's a time of repentance we need before we even look at this word today. The time of repentance for not moving, for not changing, for listening to people or being disheartened by people or counting the opinion of our brothers and sisters higher than that of God. Being more frightened of them than we are of God. Well, don't worry about that, folks. Don't worry about each other. (laughs) Amen? Amen. Don't worry about each other. Don't worry about each other. You just keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and you'll find that that inner transformation will take place all by itself.
the seed will grow, as Jesus put it. So let me get specific. I've given you seven points here, just off the top of my head sort of thing. How do we change? Number one, by changing our theology. You know, we, we pride ourselves that we have certain core dogmas, and that's absolutely fine. We do. But certain things change over time. As I look back on my, because doctrine is very important to me, as I look back over the years, there are many things I used to believe that I don't believe now. Amen? And if that was not the case, if you are sitting here this morning, listen carefully to me, folks. We are loyal to the thing we first believe, even if it's wrong. That's like me, because I, I was a Catholic. And when I heard this born-again thing, I was loyal to the thing I first believed, even though it was wrong. And many of you have been in that situation as well. I had to bring myself to the place where I realized that was a mistaken loyalty. That was a misplaced loyalty. I need to get my priorities right here. I need to change my theology. And I will always be doing that because I'll always be learning. And the day that we say there's nothing else to learn, that's crazy. There's always changes to make because theology affects my practice and my attitudes. It all emanates out of there. Look, I'll give you an example. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 11. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 11 The Apostle Paul had a bit of an attitude problem with this guy called John Mark. He sacked him at one point and sent him away from his team. And now, many years later, we see the same Paul asking for the same guy to be brought back into ministry again and to work with him. I won't read the whole story. You can study it in your own time. 2 Timothy, chapter 4, verse 11. And this is Paul talking. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark, John Mark. And bring him with you, because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Eyes forward. Here you have Paul, in the beginning of his life. He's a tough guy, there's no question. He's a hard guy. Uh, He needed to be, because of what he had to go through. But he's very dismissive, he's a higher fire. And he fired John Mark, years earlier. But now he's been whipped five times, now he's come a long road, and he suddenly looks back and he remembers, hey, do you remember that young fellow? Bring him along. I'll be much more gentle now. Paul changed his theology. He realized that he wasn't all that. Right? Have you? Have you added? It's not just just changing things that I already believe, but it's also the addition of other things that I should be accumulating more of God, more sound theology, more good doctrines within myself that affect my practices. Failure to do so causes us to get stuck. So let your theology blossom. Let it grow, firstly. Secondly, we change through the presence of the Holy Spirit being allowed to to dwell in us, to live in us. Look at John's Gospel. Chapter 15, verse 7. John's Gospel, chapter 15, verse 7. I want you to find this one. I know you know it, but I want you to see it. This is Jesus talking. John fifteen seven. If you, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you can ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory. Great. The trouble with us, folks, is we don't remain. Get this where you can all see it. Sorry, Isaac. I'll just put this down and I'll raise my voice. <laughs> I want you to see this. Part of the problem for us, 
Take a look at this. This is you, and you are a glass, if you like, of dirty water. This is what you are. And God says, if you remain in me, I'll change that. But the key is the remaining. So when you get saved, here you are, you come. It's only your spirit inside that's saved, your soul, your body's still the same, right? And then this great transformative work begins. But you're gone. Come back. I said remain. But it was painful. You're taking everything off me. You're changing me. I don't want that. And then we don't like it. We become sad. So the young man goes away sad. And slowly we come back to church. Okay, we're here again. No, I don't like that. And 40 years this takes me. In and out and in and out. And when it's there, it fills up with dirty water again. They come back and start the whole process all over again. We hate the change. We resist the change. So when Jesus was going, what's he just about to send to the earth? Holy, Holy Spirit. So Jesus is just about to leave. And he says, if you remain, I'm going to start that transformative process. The work that you have to do, don't move. It's hurting, Lord. Don't move. It's sore, Lord. Don't move. And you remain. Didn't take as long as I thought. Now you all want to go to the toilet. (laughs) You let that work. You let that work be completed. Just let it happen. Let him continue. Not there are mul- there, 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 there's a multitude of examples in Scripture of that. There's the seed that gets planted and then gets pulled up. The seed that gets planted and then gets pulled up. It can't grow, can it? You can't grow like that. And you must learn to to wait, folks. Let me give you an example because some of you have already decided, for example, that you're not tonight at six thirty. You're going to watch TV. You're going to put your feet... Or you're going to cook. You're going to eat. Because tonight at 6.30 we have... We have Revive. It's only an hour. (laughs) It's only one hour in the presence of God to stand and to start the practice of learning to remain. That's That's the purpose of the night. It's not a teaching night. It's a night where we learn to stand and to remain and we focus on Him. Are you with me? And so, I mean, what are you doing tonight, by the way? Amen. You need to come... I mean, I don't know. Maybe you just want to be like the rich young ruler. Like, carry on. No problem. That's up to you. But if you want that transformative power, if you want that, it is available. It is available. It's your decision. Point two. We change through the consistent, persistent presence of the Holy Spirit, not by an in and out lifestyle. Amen? Amen. Point three. We change through developing integrity. And I've chosen my words carefully there because integrity doesn't come quickly. I believe. It takes a lifetime and that's what you see in the lives of the men of God in Scripture. You see great transformation. But it does take a lifetime. God is still working on them all the way through. 
The famous story of Joseph in Genesis chapter 42 verse 19. Look at this. Genesis chapter 42 verse 19. I'm just going to presume you all know the story of Joseph because it's such a famous story. Genesis 42:19. Joseph is talking to his brothers and he says this great line. If you are honest men, if you are honest men, if you've changed, because remember they weren't, they tried to kill him, right? Years ago. And now he's looking to see if there's any change. Verse 19. If you now, shall I add, if you now are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison, while the rest of you go and take grain back to the starving households. Now you know the story. Eyes forward, please. We change when we pass various tests. What's happening to you, whether you're aware of it or not, is you face a test. If you fail the test, you go back and you face the same test. And you can get stuck at the same test for the rest of your life. Same person you're angry with, same bad temp, same whatever. You can get stuck at the same test and you will remain there until the day you die. You will stay there. You cannot move forward. We change and we grow when we face a test, listen, and we pass the test. And then we move on to what? (laughs) Another test. Another test. That is the nature of integrity. That's how integrity is produced within us. It's a series of endless tests. These brothers tried to kill Joseph many years earlier. What are they facing? The same test. They're facing the same test. Now they have the opportunity once again to kill their brother. But this time, they passed the test. And what's the result? They move on to the next level. They actually enter the promised land in the end. I like this. I drew this. um, Could you bring it up here for me? Sorry, my lead won't go that far. I showed you this some time ago. But what is integrity? And what does integrity mean? Thank you, Davis. What does integrity mean? Well, this here, this is integrity. This, for example, this penknife here has integrity. It means integral. Integrated. That's where the word comes from. That pen knife is totally part of the whole. So this contraption has actually got integrity in the true definition of the word. If I took the pen knife away, it would no longer have integrity as such. Look at these three little diagrams. The green wiggly line, that's the sea. And this is an iceberg. This is an iceberg. This is an iceberg. But look at this iceberg. What you see on the top is disintegrated. You see that? It's separated from what's beneath. And so it is with people. What you see on Sunday is just a little bit. But when the rest of the life doesn't match that, that is not integrity. It's disintegrated. This, friend, is deception. That's a life of deception. You're self-deceived and you deceive others because there's no integrity. The next diagram, look at this. We're still not there, but it's better. This is reality. It's whenever the person is still displaying outward signs. Okay? So they go to church, but they've accepted who they are. Are you with me? It's not disintegrated. This person is self-deceived. They think this is fine. They're not fine. But this person has, they've become whole in that they accept there's parts of me that need to change. There's more of me that needs to change than doesn't. 
And then the final result is that if you will accept reality, because this is deception, this is reality, what begins to happen is that work of the Holy Spirit will bring above the surface everything that you are and should be. Are you with me? Amen? This is the work of integrity. And this, in the men of Scripture, takes an enormous amount of time. It takes their lifetime. It takes choices. It takes tests and trials and tribulations. And eventually, they begin to rise out of the mire. There's no easy way for this, I'm afraid. There's no quick fix answer for these things. We must all go through the same process that our ancestors did. So number one, we change by changing our beliefs and our theology. We change through enduring in the presence of the Holy Spirit until the transformation is done. Number three, by developing integrity and realizing that it's a, it's a long-term process. Number four, we change by waiting. God help us about waiting. Every person you see in Scripture that did anything had to wait. Abraham had to wait, remember? Had to wait all those years in a time of, of terrible trauma for him. Jacob had to wait. David had to wait. David was put out to the field. Noah had to wait. 120 years, right? They all had to wait. Ian and Brenda, you're waiting, right? There's a lot of waiting. Okay? It is part of the course. It's part of what we do. In 2 Peter, it says, Don't you know that God has waited with incredible patience? Well, I'll tell you what. If God waits with incredible patience, Noah preached. Listen to this. Noah preached for 120 years. How many converts did he get? Zero. 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 No one. Not one. 120 years. Noah built that ark in Yerevan, where I'm going next week. (laughs) Right there. He preached there 120 years. And not one single solitary person. And yet you can see from his lifestyle, he remained humble. He remained broken. That's some patience, isn't it? That's some patience. You need to know that you need to wait to do that, right? He needs to have accepted something. Do you know, Jesus Christ, I've shared this with you before, can you imagine being Jesus Christ when you're born into the home of Mary and Joseph, and you know who you are from the age of 12, he knows exactly what's going on, and yet when his next door neighbor is dying, he can't heal them. He can't go out and preach the gospel, because his time has not yet come. He had to wait How many years? 30 years. The Son of God has to wait at home, serving his parents, being humble, until he was actually... That's a lot of waiting. And that's the example for us, even as the the coffins went by his front door, how tempting it would be to jump the gun and just go out and raise someone for the... Especially when it was friends of his. Or there were friends who were sick, etc., etc., But he is the prime example for us, and indeed the apostles in the upper room. 52 days, waiting, waiting, waiting. I've had to wait long periods of time in my life. The longest one was two years in Dublin when I had to wait, when the church put me aside. And you need to develop a certain attitude in that time, and I've learned over the years. Keep yourself busy while you wait. (laughs) Be active, be proactive, be productive, don't get stuck. Make the best of that time, because you don't know how long that time will last. But I must accept that a lot of the, I hope you're listening friends, a lot of the men in scripture who did anything significant, it was preceded by waiting. Years and years of waiting. God would, sit, would tell them I'm going to do this and then they have to sit. One year, two years. Two. Well, what did, you, what did you tell me for? 
Why didn't you just leave it till it was six months before instead of telling me in, you know, Peter's case, 33 years or something before? Long time to wait to be crucified, right? That's the nature of prophecy. And he's looking at what is happening in you and whether we're patient and humble and broken in that time because even though we don't think anything's happening, plenty's happening. Our attitudes are changing and our reverence to God is changing and our priorities are changing. Number five, we change by getting through the betrayal barrier. Now, we looked at this in Judges, in fact, Judges chapter, Judges chapter 6 verse 13. This is great. <laughs> Judges, we read, we read this about three weeks ago, wasn't it? Where Gideon, Gideon has been faithful, he's been serving God, and they had certain victories. But then all of a sudden, everything in Gideon's life falls apart. The world falls apart. The nation gets defeated. The, 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 the Philistines are overrunning, etc., etc. And look at Gideon's response. It's a very human response to God. Gideon, uh, Judges chapter 6, verse 13. Pardon me, Lord. <laughs> Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Who wouldn't ask that question, right? Here he is, they're serving God, and all of a sudden calamity comes upon his household. Calamity comes upon Israel. Eyes forward. Gideon is saying, am I being punished? And what does God reply? No, you're being tested. You're being tested. And if you pass the test, just like all your forefathers, you'll move to the next test. You're not an exception, Gideon. You must pass the test like everybody else. But Gideon has the little mental trick going on that God has betrayed him. And this point, point five, is a very important point. If you intend to follow God, R.T. Kendall called it the betrayal barrier. That anyone who seeks to follow God seriously, sooner or later... It's going to feel and look as if God has turned his back on you. Excuse my back. That's what it's going to feel like. And that's actually a very good sign. Because it's a sign you're probably coming to the end of that period, that gestation period. Joseph had to do that. Remember Joseph? President of the whole country of Egypt. But before that, don't forget, where was Joseph? Fourteen years. So God gives him a promise. Then he ends up, they try to kill him. Then he ends up in prison for 14 years. Now what would go through your mind? God, you said you were going to do this, that, and you didn't do, you have betrayed me, God. I believe, I told my whole family. And then they tried to kill me. And now I end up in prison. And I didn't do one thing wrong. Betrayal. Abraham, you're going to have a son. But he's 99. And all the years go by. Betrayal. Right? My favorite is Jacob. I think it's wonderful. When Joseph, he thought that Joseph was dead. It's just a wonderful example. When Jacob had to endure all those years and go through all that pain and all that suffering because there was a reason, there was a purpose. He had to keep his faith in God and believe that he would get that son back. And he did, didn't he? The son returned miraculously. Fantastic example. Are you listening to me? Don't answer this question. Has God let you down? Betrayed you? Because these are the tricks of humanity that happened to all these guys. Do you know, Jesus hung on the cross and he said this, My God, my God, 
why have you forsaken me? Lord, if you're with me, why have all this happened? But the darkest hour is before the dawn. And you've got to learn to embrace the challenges of life, no matter how they come, what form they come in, and believe their tests, their trials, their temptations to turn away from God. But you need to put yourself firmly in a biblical context. Goodness knows. There's a prophetic word right there. (laughs) Oh yeah. We need to put ourselves in a biblical context because of the day in which we live. These are crazy days. Crazy days. Dangerous hours. And we need to see ourselves like these guys. So that we will stand with the same tests. I was watching a documentary last night on Fox News. About the whole gay marriage situation in America. You know. Uh, such a week. I actually cried this week when I saw the announcement being made in Washington. I actually broke down because I've been many, many places in America and they've been very kind to me for many years. And I saw that happen. Oh, wow. How the mighty have fallen. How that nation, that 90% of the finances in the world for missions came out of America for many years. That place has been the bread box of global missions. And now to see this on that night, I just, it just is, is abysmal. Really. We need to see ourselves as the people of the scripture, of that book that you've got. See that? Look at me. See that? That's you. That book's talking about you. And the things that these men went through, looks like we're going to be going through pretty similar. Okay? So you need to see yourself like one of these. Not like some prosperity preacher, easy, cozy life stuff. Because it's long gone, isn't it? Did you see the news last week? Hello. So things are rapidly, rapidly changing. Rapidly changing. Next week I'll be in Yerevan. I mean, if I don't come back, God bless you all. I'll see you in heaven. It's, uh, I'm not joking. It's, it's getting a bit exasperated beside Iran. You know, there's no white people there. I'll be just about the only one there. And I'm going to change my hotel because of that. Because it looks as if they're going to be shooting up the hotels. You know? Um, so dodgy times. Crazy times. You need to be ready for your exit <laughs> at any moment. Yeah. I was in in the queue in uh, the Royal Infirmary yesterday, sorry, Friday, for about six hours, sitting as the car crashes came in. That's the second time I've been in that queue in two weeks. I I see the state of the people. All ages, all colours, rich, poor, and they've all got one thing in common. They're all dying. And they didn't think it was going to happen to them. Didn't think it was going to happen to them. Car crash, heart attack, fall down the stairs. They all come in screaming and screaming in agony until they get them jabbed up, you know. And my poor wife doesn't know where she is, but it was, it was quite humorous actually because I'm walking her up and down the corridor trying to keep her calm. And she's saying, Jesus Christ! Jesus Christ! The Word of God! That's what she's saying. Because yeah. <laughs> she remembers that. Jesus Christ! And I can see these people... There was one woman who was in and out of consciousness and I could see her listening to Jeanette. Jesus Christ. And then she would just go. Jesus Christ. You know, it's a woman about, I don't know, 35. I don't know what was wrong with her. There's beds all around you, you see. And it's, it's a scary old life, amen? amen? You need to be ready. This life is a vapour and we need to be ready for, you know, the lift upstairs. Beam me up, Scotty. Don't know what time that's going to come. You really don't. Hey. Are you ready? (laughs) Are you ready? 
I hope you're ready. What we can do today is just put ourselves underneath the Holy Spirit. We can place ourselves like I do with my light. We can bring ourselves today and we can say, do you know what? I'll start right now. You can forget the television tonight. <laughs> forget my food tonight. I'll come back and ask Mervyn to bring us into the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Point six, we change by learning to compromise. It's a great scripture. I wish I had more time to go into it because it, Acts chapter 15, verse 19. It's wonderful to see the apostles changing and how they, they became, I don't want to use the word politician, but they, they, they became much more convivial over the course of their lifetimes. Just have that open before you because I want you to go back in your own time and study this one. Acts chapter six, uh, sorry, Acts chapter fifteen, verse nineteen. Once you've got that, then just put, put your eyes forward a moment. I compromise every day. I compromise, and that's a good thing. There's good compromise and there's bad compromise, right? It's good compromise and bad compromise. Jesus compromised constantly. What I mean by that is, in, in the book of Proverbs, it says the wise man will avoid all extreme, and Jesus got that middle ground. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. We'd all be dead and in hell. This is, the very fact that you're in this room living and breathing, that's a compromise, believe me, from a holy God who gave you permission to live and to hear these very words right now. That's a compromise on his part. That's, we call it grace if you want. And we need to learn to be people of compromise of the right sort. And in the book of Acts, there was an argument that rose up amongst the leaders, amongst the apostles about whether you needed to be circumcised to be a Christian. And one half of the believers say this, and one half of the believers say that. And in this group of people, by the way, you've got Peter, you've got Paul, you've got Matthew, Luke. You've got a lot of very big egos in Jerusalem right now. Because the church has not yet been dispersed. So here you have the church in Jerusalem. All of those guys are there. And there's an argument. Who's in charge of the church? Who's the chief? Not Peter. Peter's the chief apostle for the nations. The church in Jerusalem, the senior pastor was a guy called James. And do you know why James is a senior pastor? <laughs> because James could compromise more than anyone. And when the argument broke out, look at this, Acts chapter 15 verse 19. When the argument broke out amongst all the people, James is the senior in this locality, and he stands up and he says this. In your version it may say, Thus judgeth I. This is my judgment. That we should not make it more difficult, extremes, for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them. In other words, James has found a compromise, are you with me, to the argument. And we learn, we change, because believe me folks, when I got saved, I was one of the most inflexible, legalistic beings. Now, you might think I still am. <laughs> I was one of the most inflexible, legalistic individuals that you've ever met. And I, because of that, I couldn't work with anyone. But over time and study and looking at these, I suddenly realized, you know what? That's not a good place to be. But actually, growth, I need to change. I need to change my ways. I need to learn from James. I need to understand that there's a lot of very strong guys in Jerusalem right now. And they appoint who? The guy who is able to bring people to a, a common place 
of what we negatively refer to as compromise, but it is not always negative. Every one of you will be stuck at some point. All of our tests are different, but at some point in these 40 minutes, you're going to get hit somewhere along the line. One of these points will be probably your point. It will be your test point. It will be your point of growth. And you're going to have to come back, get the Holy Spirit in you to cope with that test point, so you can move on to the next test. (laughs) Right? Seventhly, and lastly, and this is probably the most important thing, it's learning that we're never going to change unless we ourselves have faith in ourselves. And we don't rely on other people to, to, to be everything for us or to do everything for us because they just plain and simply won't and they can't. You know, I've shared with you, when we did What's Love Got to Eyes Forward, please. When we did What's Love Got to Do With It, remember I said to you about Jeanette. Jeanette cannot be everything to me. She's my wife. She cannot be my source of joy. I can't put that pressure on her. Oh, I'm depressed today. It's your job to make me happy. You're my wife. I'm down today. I don't feel very high esteem today, so it's your job to give me esteem. And that's what some marriages are like. They put all the pressure on their marriage partner to provide everything for them. Right or wrong? It's terrible, right? And, if you say right, naughty boy. (laughs) Do you hear that, Bridget? (laughs) Put all the pressure on each other to provide that. No, please listen carefully, folks. A human being can do certain things for you, but they're typically very temporary, like water on the ground. A human being can refresh you. We see it in Scripture, where we encourage each other. But these things are surface. Eyes forward, give me your attention. Self-confidence, God-confidence, it's an inside job. It's an inside job. Are you listening? Some of you are looking for someone outside. To bring you the change that will never come from another human being. It only happens inside. It's an inside job. And then we send it out. It comes actually through the Holy Spirit. You can't rely on people for these things. Point seven. We change through becoming a person of faith and vision for our own future. That's you Thinking about you, you being determined for you, you not needing anybody else because you're born again and the Holy Ghost is in you. Amen? Amen. That's what it is. Best example in Scripture, David in 1 Samuel chapter 17. I think I went to verse 20. 1 Samuel chapter 17 verse 20. David is an illegitimate child, you know. The same as Jesus was born with Mary and Joseph when they were out of wedlock. It's the same with David. All the other brothers were of the same family except David, who was a illegitimate child. So they didn't want anybody to know about him. They wanted to hide him. You see? So they put him out in the fields to feed the sheep and pretended he didn't exist. Jesus had to go to Egypt. It's It's a mirror image here of what happened to Christ But look at David's attitude that he picked up in the field when he spent time with God. 1 Samuel chapter 17 verse 20. Early in the morning David left the flock in the care of the shepherd, loaded up and sent out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers how they were. I bet that went down well. 
as he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from the lines and shouted his usual defiance and David heard. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps on coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Not bad for a shepherd. They repeated to him what had been said and what had been told to them. This is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger. So here's David, (laughs) rising up in faith, going to challenge. And look at the reaction of the older brothers. They hate him. Because he's changing, right? And they don't want to. They don't want to face the battle. He burned with anger at him and asked him, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down here to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter with the men. Now you know the end of this story, folks. Tell me, eyes forward. Does David lack confidence? But the brothers do. Who hates who? They couldn't stand him. And I'm just warning you, because I just feel some of you are going to make a change, I hope, for the rest of your life. I warn you, don't look for the applause of men. So you're sitting here right now, and you're thinking, you know what? I'm going to do that course. I'm going to become that thing that God has shown me. I warn you, do not look for the applause, because it's not there, is it? It's not there. People who don't want to change hate people who do. And normally, I'm very sorry to say this, it's the very people who should be supporting you who will mock you, laugh at you. And I counsel you, my brothers and sisters, don't listen to anyone. Don't listen to anyone. Only got one life. I wouldn't normally share this example in any church, but I'll share it with you. You can, but you're still recording. <laughs> yeah, you can record this. Okay. I wouldn't normally share this because people get the wrong idea about it. Um, I was in a church hall once years ago, and it was a powerful day. And many words from God went out. It was a really prophetic time. And at the end of the meeting, I, it was one of those churches where I had to sit at the front and stand, you know, sit over here. And all these people were out there, and the pastor got up, and ministry was finished, and it was sensational, you know. So, Fantastic day. And the pastor said, can we just say thank you to Pastor Mike for today? That congregation stood and they would not stop clapping and shouting, well, excellent. And it went on and on. It's the second biggest round of applause I've ever had in my life. And I sat there, you see, until, until they finished. And at the end of the meeting, everybody was going and this woman was waiting to talk to me. So she came over and she said, I want to talk to you. And she said, I was watching you. When they were all clapping, I was watching you. It didn't affect you, did it? It didn't bother you, did it? I said, no. (laughs) She said, I don't know how you do that. If people did that to me, I I think that might go to my head. And I remember, you know, just saying, listen, let me tell you something, dear. 
You see the people who clap you today? They'll crucify you in three days' time. If you rely on people, or if you're influenced by what people will say, you're never going to do anything. Amen? Let people be people. We serve them, we love them. But they cannot affect these things. You'll never change. You'll never change. Keep your eyes up on the Lord your God. And let Him give you a heavenly vision. Look at point seven again, please. You will change through becoming a person of faith and vision regarding yourself. Not relying on anybody else to give you that. Not relying on anybody else to be you or to be responsible for your future, your life. But actually doing it yourself and being committed to doing that yourself. It's an inside job. Mervyn, could you come back for us there? Stay in your seat, please, folks. Jesus, God help us. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> the wonderful thing about God is He's easy to please and impossible to satisfy, is what they say. In other words, I doubt very much if God is giving you a hundred things to change in your life. He's probably giving you one. Yeah? Just one. And right now in your mind, I hope that there is something that you know has been a blockage for years for you growing. You know that there's something that's been blocking your growth, blocking your integrity, Blocking your symmetry. And maybe just this very day, with just us here, is the time for you to begin to rise above the surface. And to own yourself. All of yourself. And to start that percolation process which will bring you above the water. This is hypocrisy. One of the most difficult things for a human being to be is two people. You can't be two people. It's hard work. Huh? You can't be Mr. A on Sunday and Mr. B on Tuesday. You can't be two people. That's, that's torture. That's impossible. You'll burn yourself out. The only way to be is reality of one person and then the sanctification of this same person the way he taught me. That's it. I decide to put myself in the right place. And I make a decision to remain. Until the work is done. So I hate altar calls. I don't hate altar calls. So why don't we, all of you, close your eyes. And forget about everybody else. And acknowledge that the only one that you really need is the Lord God Almighty, the same one who saved you, and the same Jesus offers you his Holy Spirit. And he passes by and he says to the cripple, do you really want this? <laughs> and he says, yes. And Jesus heals him. A miracle takes place. Transformation takes place.
And God, I pray that in this place, on this day, you will do exactly the same thing. Each of us can respond on a different issue, a different point of growth and change. The important thing is that we lay ourselves open to God. So let's not have an altar call at the front. Instead, I'm going to ask you, if you feel that you're... Remember, you're not talking to me. You're talking to God Almighty. You're talking to Jesus. And you're presenting yourself to Him. For Him to touch you like He did the cripple. If you want to present the point of your change to God, then just stand to your feet as a sign that, you know what, God? I haven't changed. I own that. I confess it. And I present myself today as a vessel ready for change. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Whatever the issues are, God, we ask you to give us the grace to put them down. The rocks that have held us back, the stumbling blocks that have hindered our way, the attitudes. Forgive us, Lord, for being slow. And thank you for being gracious. Lord Jesus Christ, we lift up our eyes to the hills where our help comes from. It comes from the Lord God Almighty. Father, I pray you will meet every person in this room at the point of their need. Touch them right now. Pass by like the angel at the pool and deposit what is needed. Deposit what is necessary.